What a good reminder it is uh, that as we, uh, we are going to be required to probably put a bit more brain power than normal Sunday, Sunday uh, morning sermon. And it is going to be late, you know, uh, probably 9.30 is when we'll end or somewhere around, around that time. So it's going to require a lot, but it is, it is a great reminder that the God who has redeemed us and died for us is the one we're getting to know. So it's worth it. And I think uh, uh, with, that, with that motivation and that drive, let's, let's dive in. All right. There's a lot of quotes and verses that I'll be, put up, be putting up on the, um, on the PowerPoint. And, um, and because of that, don't feel like you have to write down every single verse and every single uh, quote. We will, or I can send you the PowerPoints later if you guys want it. But for now, just write down what you feel like uh, you can, uh, uh, but don't let taking of notes kind of make you lose focus of, of, of the heart of what's being said. And we're going to take a few um, short minute, five minute or ten minute breaks in between these so, so it won't be just one hour long of stuff. All right? And, and again, I'll try my best uh, uh, to keep it exciting and engaging. So let's start tonight a session with clarifying who the Holy Spirit is. Did, can you pass? Can you throw that, uh, uh, that little thing? Sorry. You can throw it. I'll catch it. Never mind. All right. <laughs> you don't trust me. All right, um, so let's clarify first and foremost, I think this will be good not just to lay out the framework for tonight's session about the role of the Holy Spirit in creation, but also for the rest of, of, uh, of the retreat. Who is the Holy Spirit? Okay, let's clarify the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And let me just say why it's easy to misunderstand the third person of the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit. I think one, perhaps, it's really hard to categorize the, the Spirit just by the revealed name that the Bible, uh, that God has us, uh, given us uh, in, this, in, in the Scriptures, the Spirit. So when you think about God the Father, there's a category for that. Our brains can kind of associate that word with something, right? We talk about God the Son. Our brains kind of intuitively understand, or we have a concept for that. When you talk about God the Spirit, that's a bit more intangible. What is spirit. What, what is that? So I think um, it, it is understandable that the Holy Spirit is probably the one that we are most confused of, generally. Two, the Holy Spirit's role is to always point us to God the Father and to God the Son. Michael Horton, who wrote um, a, book, a really great book on the Holy Spirit recently, che- check it out. Um, he said, uh, and this is a bit um, um, playful, but he said that being misunderstood is the Holy Spirit's occupational hazard is how we put it because his job is always to point to the father his job is always to point to the son so that's that's what he's supposed to do so in a sense you can say that the attention has always been to the father and the son and 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 by that the spirit is pleased and he's glad that we are uh, uh, seeing the father and the son uh, and that he's pointing us to them but because of that let me just put on a quote uh, that again michael horton wrote in his book The Spirit seems like just the right person of the Trinity for a pluralistic age. Nearly everyone today is spiritual, quote-unquote. Furthermore, the Spirit, or just, quote-unquote, Spirit, is everywhere, empowering everyone for what they could do themselves, but with greater difficulty. That's often how he's understood. There are no vehement debates about the search of the historical Spirit. If Christ has been made into a wax figure by some Jesus scholars, the Holy Spirit seems even more susceptible, susceptible to ideological and subjective manipulation and abstraction. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, um, uh, I get it. We get why uh, he, he probably is not uh, one that is most uh, understood. Okay, 
let me just explain some of the ways that this misunderstanding or some of the ways and how the Holy Spirit is misunderstood and the dangers thereof. One, the Holy Spirit is often associated exclusively with the supernatural. Okay, so back uh, in high school, of course, you know, the girl you fall in love with in high school is the one you think that you're going to marry, right? All of, all of us, and the boys too for the girls. So I had a crush in high school, and her name was Pamela. And uh, in this time, I haven't told my wife this, um, but it, I, I remember, um, this is before I was a Christian, I remember that I um, was driving, uh, I was in a car, and then um, a bajai went in front of me, and he had a sticker in the back of the bajai, and guess what the sticker said? Pamela. <laughs> and I thought to myself, Lord, this is, this is it. This is your will for my life. I'm going to marry Pamela. I'm going to go and marry. And, and we associate the Holy Spirit with those kinds of things, right? Things that seem supernatural. And the danger with that, well, one, you know, that's totally unbiblical. But, but the danger with that is that it limits the work of the Holy Spirit to just the supernatural. As if God is not actively present during breakfast or during your traffic commute back from home to home from work or when you're hanging out with your friends. Does he only appear in the supernatural? If you think that way, it's unbiblical and also robs God from credit and glory from the everyday, ordinary stuff. Second way that he's often misunderstood, he's seen merely as a powerful force that empowers us rather than an authoritative person to worship. He's seen merely as a powerful force that empowers us rather than an authoritative person to worship. And again, I can send, uh, send some of these uh, PowerPoints and notes to you if you want later. The danger of that is that we depersonalize the Holy Spirit. Let me read a, a verse, Ephesians 4, 29-30. Depersonalizing the Holy Spirit. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom, personal pronoun, you were sealed for the day of redemption. If the, Holy Sp if the Holy Spirit was just merely a power, you can stop a power. You can withhold a power. You can't grieve power. You grieve a person, a per personality. And emphasize there at the second part of verse 30, by, not by what you were sealed, but by whom you were sealed. The Holy Spirit is not merely a powerful force that empowers us, but rather he's an authoritative person to worship. Another danger of this is that it can feed, if seeing the Holy Spirit just as a power that empowers us, it feeds into the human autonomy of making God a useful tool to use rather than an ultimate being or personality to worship. It feeds into the human ego, the human autonomy. God is here for my agendas. The Holy Spirit is here to help me do things that I could maybe do, but it's really hard, so I need his help to do. That's all. He, he's a person to worship. Three, another misunderstanding is that he's our inner voice. We think the Holy Spirit is our inner voice. Yes, the Holy Spirit indwells deep within us, but the Holy Spirit is not us. Again, a quote from Horton. The Holy Spirit is so actively involved in our lives, subjectively, that we can take this presence for granted or identify him with our own inner self. But the Holy Spirit is not our spirit. And his voice is not to be confused with our own. The Spirit is a divine person within us, not a divine part of us. Let me repeat that last part. 
The Spirit is a divine person within us, not a divine part of us. The danger there is we can idolize our emotions, and we can mistake them as God's will instead of looking to the Scriptures. For example, how many times have you heard this sentence? If God didn't want me to do it, why did He give me so much passion for it? If God didn't want me to do it, why did He give me so much passion to do it? Or if God wants me to do it, why hasn't He given me the passion for it? As if our passion and emotions is the final authority for what God's will is. Don't mistake the Holy Spirit as who you are. Um, um, uh, that's the error of, we can say, pantheism. Thinking that God is mixed in somehow with nature and, there, uh, and there's no distinction between the creator and the creature. Okay, so if these are the ways, there's many other ways, but if these are the ways that the Holy Spirit is often misunderstood, how can we move toward a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is? Okay, moving toward a more biblical understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Here's, I think, is a good place to start. We need to start viewing the Holy Spirit within the Trinitarian, as a theologian say, the Trinitarian economy. Trinitarian economy just means how the Trinity works, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, okay? We need to view Him as a part of the Trinity, and He works within it. He has a role within it. He is a third person of the Trinity. Let's look at a few verses, Hebrews 9, 11. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of devout persons with the ashes of a, of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ through the, what? Eternal Spirit. He's eternal. Not only is he a personality, whom, but also he is eternal. Was not created. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Matthew 28, 19, uh, the Great Commission. You guys know this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the, baptizing them in the name of who? The Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He is equal and seen as uh, one of the persons of the Trinity to worship. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's an eternal spirit. He was not created. He's always existed. And I think emphasizing this reality of viewing the spirit within the framework of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is really helpful because it can really protect us from misunderstanding the Holy Spirit is. We can often view the Spirit as kind of doing His own thing. The Father has His own thing going on, and this kind of has something to do with the Son, right? The Father sent the Son to die for us, and when the Son dies, He cleanses us from our sin so we can have a relationship with the Father, but the Holy Spirit's here doing crazy things. That's His thing, and it's kind of disconnected from the Father and the Son. We have to view it as um, uh, within the Trinitarian, or view Him within the Trinity, okay? Um, uh, and I think by doing this, one, you can, you can make more biblical, biblical your view of the Spirit, but also, two, you'll not miss some of the things that the Holy Spirit does that is related to the Father and the Son. Uh, here's, here's what I mean. Um, um, sorry, before that, let me just say this. Here's a helpful way to think about it. Instead of saying, instead of asking the question, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Here's probably a better way to phrase it. What is the role of the Holy Spirit within the Trinitarian work? Do you see the difference? Instead of asking the question, what is the work of the Holy Spirit, phrase it this way. What is the role of the Holy Spirit within the Trinitarian, within the work of the Trinitarian God? Now, you don't want to go around correcting people. If they talk to you, hey, you know, is this the work of the Spirit? 
Oh, you don't. You shouldn't say it that way. Don't don't do that. That's a good way to lose friends. Okay, uh, but just know in the back of your head. Okay, okay. A good way for me to think about it is not to ask what the work of the Spirit is. Although that's not a wrong thing to say, but it could be more helpful for me to say what is the role of the Holy Spirit within the work of the Trinitarian God. That one will help you uh, uh, make your understanding of the Holy Spirit and and view His work more biblically, but also it'll help you see that some of the works of the Trinitarian God that we often don't associate with the Holy Spirit is actually His doing. Here's what I mean. When you think about the work of wrath and judgment, which person of the Trinity comes to your mind? The Father. But let me show from the Scriptures how this Holy Spirit is also involved in God's work of wrath and judgment. Let's go to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they're, being, they're lying to the church. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart. You have, you have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Who is the one he, who is the God that he lied to? You lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the one who brought judgment upon Ananias for lying. John 16, 7 to 8. Nevertheless, I tell the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send again him to you. And when he comes, he will do what? Convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is the one who judges. Last one, Isaiah 4.4. 4. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Who's the one that brings judgment of fire and wrath? the Holy Spirit. So be careful when you're singing worship songs asking fire to fall down. You don't want that. That's God's judgment. Okay? But see, you don't really associate the Holy Spirit with wrath and judgment, do you? We associate the Father with wrath and judgment. But that's dichotomizing Him apart from the Trinitarian work. Do you see what I'm saying? But if you think of Him as, as, as having a role within the Trinitarian work, you'll see more and more how he's involved. Now, that's what our session is about today, okay? Is the Holy Spirit involved in the Trinitarian work of creation? If he is, where does he come in? If he is God, the Spirit, with God the Father and God the Son, one God, not three gods, if he is uh, the eternal Spirit, he must be involved. So let's jump into that, and hopefully this intro will at least give us a paradigm, not only for this session, but for the rest of, of, of the retreat to view the Holy Spirit as, as, as within the Trinitarian framework and not just separately on his own. Okay, the role of the Holy Spirit in creation. So let's, let's jump into tonight. Now it's unfortunate that too often the Holy Spirit is introduced too late in the story. Now when you think about the Holy Spirit, when in the Bible does your head go to immediately? The Pentecost. Some people would even also say that the Holy Spirit didn't exist until the Pentecost they would go that far because there's a huge misunderstanding of him. But if the Holy Spirit is truly God, ontologically, originally, by nature, in value, in worth, 
is equal and one with God the Father and God the Son, he must have a part in all of the works of God, including creation in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So what is his work, his role in the, Trini in the Trinitarian work of creation? Let me put a quote from Abraham Kuyper. This is what he says. The Father brings forth, this is talking about creation, the Father brings forth the raw materials, the Son disposes and arranges, the Spirit perfects. Now, before we jump into it again, let me just say a, a word out there. We don't want to dichotomize too much the Spirit and the, fa and the Father and, and the Son. We don't want to make it sound like as if the Spirit isn't involved in anything that the Father does and vice versa. So the, the, God is, the Spirit is involved in the Father's work and in the Son's work, but I think uh, for tonight, for the purposes of tonight, I think it's helpful to distinguish, one, the role of the Father and the Son in creation, which is the creation of brute inanimate objects, the Father and the Son, their uh, role in, in, the, um, uh, in creation is the creation of brute and inanimate objects, and the role of the Spirit in Genesis 1 and 2 is animating, cherishing, organizing, and ordering them. Okay? Let's start there. First, the creation of inanimate brute objects, which is associated with God the Father and God the Son. Where do we get that? Let's go to Genesis 1, verses 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, let's focus on Genesis 1, verse 1 to 2a. That means the first part of 2, not the second part of verse 2, okay? Chapter 1, verses 1 to 2a. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. That's very important. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, the deep meaning uh, the seas. So up to 2a, we see God created the heavens and the earth, but at this point, it was without form, and it was void. So it was lifeless. It was just kind of there. So reality at this point consisted not only of the eternal creator, but also, we can say, of the raw materials, of the brute objects of creation. Have to emphasize, it was still without form, and it was still void, has not yet been organized and cherished in such a way that it moved toward God's glory. Okay. Um, now, the verses that says, okay, the verse says that God did it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then if you look at other places in Scripture, we see the distinction between the persons of the Trinity. Uh, the creation of objects prior to having form, the brute objects, is associated with the Father and the Son. Let's go to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Okay. In the beginning was the Word. This is confusing, right? And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 1. Okay, let's just talk about the Father and the Son here. In the beginning, the Word echoes Genesis 1.1. What does Genesis 1.1 say? In the beginning, God. John 1.1, in the beginning, was the word okay so this word is god then because he was in the beginning yes but then verse 2 says um uh, uh, the rest of verse 1 says the word was with god how can the word be god in the beginning but also with god if you're with somebody that's you're not that person right and to add to the confusion verse verse 2 said he was in the beginning uh, and the word was god he was with god but he was god he was in the beginning with God, and who, 
And you're, you're just confused at this point. But then you, you dig deeper, and of course, we, if you know your Bibles, you see that God here, referring to the first person of the Trinity, which is the Eternal Father, and then the Word, the Logos here, is the second person of the Trinity, who is the Eternal Son, God the Son. How do we know that? If you keep reading to John chapter 1, verse 14, you see that the Word became what? Flesh. Who became flesh? Jesus Christ. Not God the Father. Who? God the Son. God the Father did not become flesh for us. God the Son did. He took on flesh. Let's read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Who is, God, who is the God referring to there? God who? Who gave His Son? The Father. For the Father so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The Word became flesh. The Word, the Son, God the Son, who is with God the Father from eternity, one God, two persons, three persons, um, with the Spirit. The Father sent the Son to take on flesh to die for our sins. Okay? So, let's go back to, to, to John chapter 1. Look at verse 3 now. It says about the Word, or about God the Son, all things were made through Him. Who's Him? The Father or the Son? The Son. All things, God the Father, made all things through Him, God the Son, and without Him, God the Son, was not anything made that was made. So God the Father made all things, created all things, Genesis 1, through who? God the Son. Back to Genesis 1 in creation. Who are the persons of the Trinity that created the objects and sent them forth? God the Father, Kuiper said, brings forth. Through whom? Through God the Son, who Kuiper says disposes. If you, more questions about that later, we, we can talk about that, okay? Let's go to Colossians 1, 15 to 16, another, another uh, passage. He, talking about Jesus Christ, talking about the eternal word, God the Son, who was with God and who was God, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, God the Son, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. Remember, He's eternal. And in Him all things hold together. Okay? God, God the Father sends forth, God the Son disposes, we have what we see, creation without form, void, lifeless. So, what does the Holy Spirit come in? Genesis 1, 2, chapter 1, verse 2b, second part of, of verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. God the Spirit was hovering. Let me read a quote from John Owen. Um, uh, uh, this is how he explains it. This mass, referring to the inanimate brute objects that God the, the Father and the Son has brought forth, being thus framed and mixed, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The word hover signifies an easy, gentle motion such as a dove or other fowl, birds, useth over its nest or young ones, either to communicate vital heat unto its eggs or to cherish and defend its young. The picture here is that the Spirit comes and gives life to this formless, void, brute creation. Another clear place in the Bible um, um, that it helpfully expounds the Holy Spirit's role in creation, as seen in Genesis 1, is Job chapter 26, verse 10 to 14. 
He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters. Who, who is this talking about? Job, uh, or, or, or the speaker in the book of Job, is referring to Genesis 1, the, the Holy Spirit. So he is talking about the Holy, he's talk, referring to the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1. He, the Holy Spirit, has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters. He hovers over the face of the waters. At the boundary between light and darkness, he separates the light from the darkness. He inscribed a circle on the face of the water with mathematical precision. Land, sea. Light, darkness. The Holy Spirit, that's his work. The pillar of heaven trembles, trembles and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the seas. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeting serpent. That's a confusing part of the passage. It's not that he killed Satan, the serpent. That's kind of where we would think. The fleeting serpent uh, is talking about the, um, what's it called? The star alignment, the, the stars. Uh, uh, what's it called? What's the word I'm looking for? Yes, constellations. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like a, a, a fleeting serpent. And, and when, he, when the Holy Spirit is said to pierce a fleeting serpent, it's like, you know when you make satay and all the chickens everywhere, and then you kind of order it and you pierce it into one good order, Okay. The Holy Spirit pierced the constellation. You like that, Peter? <laughs> Took me a whole day to work on that one. No, I'm joking. Um, the point here is that he brought order. He arranged. He organized that which was brute, random, and animate. His hand pierced the fleeting serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power who can understand. What we see here is the Holy Spirit, first, he the one who hovered over the waters in Genesis 1, inscribed a circle on the face of the waters, separated the lands from the seas, at the boundary between light and darkness, separated light from the darkness. Everything that we see in Genesis 1, by the way, right? He pierced the, the fleeting serpent. He organized the stars. So here we see the Holy Spirit as organizing, ordering the inanimate brute objects that the Father and the Son brought forth. Okay? Let's go to another one. Psalm 104, verse 27 to 30. If, if, if Job, in the, the passage in Job, we're talking about the organizing and the arranging, in Psalm 104, we, we see the giving life unto, the hovering, the animating, the cherishing them into life part. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. Look about the life and death theme here. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things, talking about uh, um, a harvest. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Who is he talking about here? When you send forth your spirit, they are created. When, you, when the spirit is there, life comes, and you renew the face of the ground. Okay? So the Spirit is the one that comes and gives lives and take away and life goes away. He's the one who hovers over the water and gives lives, give life among the deep. You see? So if in the beginning, the Father, through the Son, sends forth and places this brute, inanimate, formless, void object, Holy Spirit comes, organizes them, arranges them, separates the light from the darkness, separates the sea from the land, pierces the fleeting serpent, and also, when he comes, life is brought forth. Vegetation happens. 
all of a sudden you see marine life in the deep of the water. So we see him not only organizing and ordering the brute inanimate objects, but also animating, giving life unto, cherishing them into life. Another one, Job, Job 33, verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Who is it that breathed life into the brute dust in which Adam was made of? The Holy Spirit has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Dust and dirt, raw material in which man is made from, was given life by the Holy Spirit. Another quote from John Owen. Hence, upon the command of God, it brought forth all sorts of creatures in abundance, according to the seeds and principles of life which were communicated unto, note, rude, informed chaos, by the cherishing motion of the Holy Spirit. Without him, all was a dead sea confused deep with darkness upon it able to bring forth nothing nor more prepared to bring forth any one thing than another but by the moving of the spirit of god upon it the principles of all those kinds sorts and forms of things which in an inconceivable variety make up its host and ornaments were communicated unto it a host a host are things that are ordered in such a way that brings glory unto something. Without the Holy Spirit, creation would have never been a host. It would have never been organized and animated in such a way in which it points to the glory of the Creator. Okay. Summary. Although absolute division shall never be applied in between the persons of the Trinity, division of roles are apparent in scriptures. God the Father in creation is the divine source, God the Son the divine architect, God the Spirit, the divine animator, organizer, cherisher, life giver. One more, Abraham Kuyper. These passages show that his, the Holy Spirit, peculiar work in creation was, first, hovering over chaos. Second, creation of the host of heaven and of earth. Remember, organizing, making something unto a host. Third, ordering the heavens, the skies, the stars. Fourth, animating brute creation and calling man into existence. And last, the operation whereby every creature is made to exist according to God's counsel concerning it. Hence, the material forces of the universe do not proceed from the Holy Spirit, nor did he deposit in matter the dormant seeds and germs of life. That's the Father and the Son. His special task begins only after the creation of matter with the germs of life in it. All right. Should we take a break or move on? Let's move on. 840, okay. Um, let's move on. Keep, let's keep our questions till the end, and I think we can ask questions. All right. So is that clear a little bit? Do you have a good distinction? Go back to the slide before. Let's do that. That one? Okay. And I'll send you these slides as well. God the Father, the divine source. God the Son, the divine architect. God the Spirit, the divine animator. Should we have questions in between? Let's do that. Let's try it out. If it doesn't work, we won't do it for grace sessions. All right. Any questions um, uh, just for now before we move on?
I don't know if I can answer him. But. Yeah, and I think that's where we need to probably be careful about making too much of a distinction between the persons of the Trinity. Uh, we talk about this, it's easy to sound like um, one was in a unable to do it, so the other had to kind of help him out. But I think um, uh, we, we can't lose the oneness of God as well. And that's hard to kind of, you know I mean? It's, it's hard to kind of really explain the oneness and the threeness. But I think we can't miss the oneness in that he is one God, you know. I mean, so so he he still did it, uh, but he's three persons. And uh, I can't remember who who said this, but I think um, I, I can't remember. He, somebody said um, the threeness of God is. Uh, there's never a good analogy for the Trinity. Um, this could be helpful though. The threeness of God is 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 the one God. Picture a drop of water, and when he when he hits. As he communicates himself to creation, there's a threeness to it. But it's one God, so it's not three. It's not three gods, and one God helped the other God out. You know, so uh, Gray can complete my answer at the end, maybe. But uh, but I think that's if you if you if you don't sacrifice the oneness, then then that kind of helps it out. But good question. All right, anyone else? Um, I, w I would probably say, or I would think the Bible would say that before the Holy Spirit came upon it, there was no life at all in it. That's, I think, where we're landing at. I think the word germ might have misconceptions because this is old English that they're writing in, you know what I mean? So, but, but I think, but I, I wasn't, I don't think the Bible is saying there is some life in it and the Holy Spirit just kind of, um, but then we will get to the kind of the let there be and let the earth bring forth motifs. Uh, we'll get to that later. Um, but I would say there's, before the Holy Spirit came upon it, um, there was no life. Yeah, there, there was, there is that in it. All right, let's move on. Let's do more questions later at the end. Okay, let's talk about the, so we talk about the organizing. Let's go to the animating, the cherishing um, um, uh, into God's glory. Wait, sorry. Okay, so first we talked about the, the creation of brute inanimate objects and how the Holy Spirit uh, uh, animates it, cherishes it, organizes it, gives life to it, orders it, and let's get deeper into that, okay? So first, let's talk about the organizing and the ordering. Earlier, we got a detailed explanation of the Holy Spirit's uh, role in the Trinitarian work of creation, 
in Genesis 2 from two passages, Job chapter 26 and Psalm chapter 104. So let's take a deeper look into them. Job chapter 26. Um, and I think I talked about this a little bit earlier. He, the Holy Spirit, has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the, at the boundary between light and darkness. So we see here the Spirit is the one who organizes an order between land and sea, light and darkness. And this gives us info for the rest of Genesis 1. So let's go to Genesis 1, verses 3 to 4. Uh, this is continuing in Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Okay, go to Job. Who is it that set the boundary between light and darkness? Holy Spirit. So now, um, 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 when God said, separate the light from the darkness, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. We, we get that. Okay, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. He's also the one who ordered between the land and the sea. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. This is Genesis 1, right? Uh, verse 10. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. There's a gathering of land and the seas. Who did that? Holy Spirit. The gathering and the separating. The encircling um, um, the, the seas. So God the Father, through the Son, willed the waters, the seas, into existence. And the Spirit did what, according to Job 26, encircled and separated them. Okay, so that's, the, that's kind of the organizing, the ordering. Let's get to the animating and the cherishing in, in Genesis chapter 1. We look at Psalm 104. Uh, earlier. Let me just read it out again. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they're dismayed. And you take away their breath and they die and return to the dust. When you send forth the Holy Spirit, they're created and you renew the face of the ground. The Spirit is responsible for the land bearing wheat and fruit and vegetation and life. Not only does the Spirit orders and arranges and organizes inanimate brute objects created by the Father and the Son, He also animates and cherishes them unto life. And when He leaves, they die. So if you go back to Genesis 1, verse 11, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. Who did this? The Holy Spirit animated that, brought them to life. Same if you go to Genesis chapter 20, chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. Um, you see that life is found in the deep waters. And you see Genesis 1, verse 24, life and is found in the ground, the animals. Also creation of man, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Dust and ground brought forth by the Father's will through the Son, and who breathed life unto us? Not God the Father, not God the Son, in a sense. But who made us more than dust and ashes? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's go to this two motifs we see in the Genesis uh, creation account. You see, let there be language. Let there be, and it just happens. And you see, let the earth bring forth language. Okay, so let there be, in the Latin, it's creation ex nihilo. Let the earth bring forth its creation and continua, and the Holy Spirit is involved in both. This will be quick. Let there be, creation ex nihilo, is his reference to in Genesis, light, waters above and waters below, talking about the, the sky and the seas and the, the up and down, and the water and the land, let there be, uh, and the Father declaring these things into existence through the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the let there be ones, is more involved in the arranging of them and the organizing of them, okay? 
and the letter B's in Genesis 1. But then you see in Genesis 1, you see uh, uh, let the earth bring forth language, which is life and, and sprouting creation continua, referring to vegetation and plants on earth, life under the deep of the sea, the marine life, animals on the ground, and humankind. Again, the Father declares them into existence through the Son. The Holy Spirit is the one who cherishes and, and, and uh, 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 animates, gives life to these brute objects. Uh, so Genesis 1 verse 11, the Holy Spirit is the one who sprouts vegetation. 120 gives marine life. Genesis 1 24 uh, animates living creatures and gives them the ability to multiply. So let me just say some few implications about all this, okay? As it pertains to human rights. Human right, therefore, is not based on one's contribution to society. A lot of people say that uh, why, do we, why do humans have right? Because they contribute to society and society flourishes because of that. That's not the Bible's view at all. Humans have right because they are made in God's image and the Holy Spirit has given them life. And um, you're not, your rights aren't taken and given to you based on your usefulness, right? If that's the case, bees have more rights than babies because bees are very useful to the environment as they you know, do their thing with the flowers, I don't know. Babies contribute absolutely nothing. Um, uh, your rights aren't based on how smart you are. If that's so, then dolphins have more rights than old people with Alzheimer's. That's not the case. You have rights because the Holy Spirit has breathed life unto you and which nothing else, uh, in, in a sense, in a special way, uh, is given. As it pertains to worship, all creatures, therefore, owe their existence and thus their worship to the triune God. The grain of your design is to worship the triune God. That's who you were made to be, made for as it pertains to what it reveals about how the Holy Spirit operates. So one is human rights, two is that pertains to worship, uh, and three, reve this reveals something about the Holy Spirit operates. Note, this will be important for later, the Holy Spirit creates order, not disorder. The Holy Spirit creates order, not chaos, which is really different than what we see happening today as it is claimed to be the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, uh, is intimately involved in ordinary, everyday occurrences and not just localized to extraordinary event. Every osmosis the plant experiences when the rain and the sun hits it, every nutrition that is taken up by the opening of the pores and the tree's roots, every cloud movement, every ounce of vitality the bird possesses for flight, every breath that passes through your lungs is the animating, cherishing, ordering, organizing work of the Spirit. Last as it pertains to peace. When Jesus said in Matthew 26, don't worry, even the lilies of the fields are clothed in splendor. Who clothed it? And every bird that flies, not one of them falls apart from God's will. Who gives that bird the life to fly? The Holy Spirit. The same Spirit, Christian, is in you today. He is also the one who we'll see in session three on justification, who brought true spiritual vitality and sensitivities and life into your dead hearts. And he's the one that's going to continue to invigorate it and keep it eternal. Have peace. All right. Take a five-minute break, and then we'll, we'll come back. All right, break.
Speaking. All right. All right, guys, let's start again. I have probably about 15 more minutes of, of stuff, and then we'll go into Q&A, and then we'll try and end at about 9.45 if we can. Okay, I'll put 20 minutes or so. 9.45 is good. You guys are young. You're not going to sleep at 10, so quit lying to yourself. All right. All right, so the second part um, that I want to talk about in the Holy Spirit's role in creation is not referring to what theologians call old creation. Old creation is the creation of the world in Genesis 1. I want to talk more about the incarnation. What's the incarnation? Is the flesh and the blood in which God the Son took upon himself. The incarnation of God the Son in Jesus Christ. When it comes to salvation, in other words, uh, uh, Christ, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, most people know the role of God the Son. God the Son is the one who became incarnate, who became human, and died for our sins. Most people know the role of the Father. He's the one who sends the Son. But not many people understand what the role of the Holy Spirit is just in all this. And some of us might be asking, why are we talking about salvation here and not in session three, when we talk about justification, the Holy Spirit's role in justification? Because our justification has everything to do with the creaturely creation, right? The creaturely realities of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's absolutely important that the one who died for us on the cross was both truly God and truly man. If Jesus Christ was not truly God and truly man, we would not be saved. He must be truly God for our offense, our sin, has procured the wrath from an eternal God. And in order for true justice to be served, the payment must also be of eternal weight and value. Nothing but the blood of God would do. It wouldn't be truly paid otherwise. Okay, Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit was made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Take care of the flock of the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He truly bled. If you want to talk about God, add intro and add extra. Talk to Gray after this. Um, but you can say when Jesus Christ died on the cross, God died and he obtained it with God's own blood but our mediator must not only be truly God he also must be truly man because in order to gift unto us the grand prize of salvation God must first start the race where we started he must finish the race with the same rules we have he must have the same limitations we have and he must be tempted in the same way we'd be tempted because if not it wouldn't be truly just and fair here's an example I like to use for this there is a movie um, where a doctor, a father, who's I think 60 years old, 65, had a son who went and wanted to walk a, a, a trail that starts in Spain, ends in France. It's long, it's like a three-month trail. It's called El Camino de Santiago. It's like a thing people do, okay, uh, for, you know, spiritual whatever, right? So the son went to the walk, and the son uh, died midway. The father was heartbroken. So the father, this is a true story, by the way, who's like a 65-year-old doctor, retired, decided to walk this trail on his behalf. And he did it. 
he landed in uh, Spain. Did I say France or Spain? Spain. And then he walked all the way to France. And then at the end, he walked it. He finished it, like a few months. And, and at the end, you get this kind of certificate that says your name on it, and you get a stamp on your passport that says you've completed uh, Camino, El Camino de Santiago. What he did at the end, he said, I don't want you to write my name on the, on the um, uh, certificate. I want you to write my son's name on the certificate. Give the credit of my victory unto my son. I don't want you to stamp my passport. I want you to stamp my son's passport. And they did it. But they would only do it if he started where his son started. He can't fly into France to the finish line and then say, stamp my son's passport. No, you got to earn it. You have to start where your son would have started. You have to finish the race in the way your son would have finished the race with the limitations he had to the end. He couldn't rent a speedboat. He couldn't go to Spain, rent a speedboat, get to the end and say, hey, I want to, you to write the certificate to my... No. He had to start where the sun started. He had to finish the race with the same limitations the sun had. Galatians 4, 4 to 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. God started where we started. Born under the law. Started with the same requirements we have as flesh, right? Therefore, same limitations we have to redeem those who are under the law so that they, we might receive adoption as sons. He had to be truly man. He had to start where we started and forgive us. Truly God, truly man at the same time. So now here's a million dollar question, which is the reason why we're talking about this in session one, not just in session three, uh, which is Holy Spirit's role in creation. How can the eternal, um, invisible God, who has no physical frame, right? Westminster Catechism, he is uh, uh, invisible, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, who has no physical frame. How can he enter into our story and in his humility, in his condescension, clothe himself with flesh and blood so that he can start where we started at birth under the same limitations we have with flesh and blood, tempted in the same way we were tempted as finite man who feels all the human's emotion and limitations in order to save us. This is where the Holy Spirit plays a huge role. Okay, first let's talk about the Holy Spirit and the birth of Jesus Christ. God must start where we started to be our substitute. If you look throughout the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit sets himself upon a created ordinary thing, that thing is set apart, sanctified for God's holy use. Let's look at Moses' staff, the thing he used to split the sea and do all kinds of miracles. Isaiah 63, 11-12. Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them? Why did the, the wooden staff of Moses have the power to do all these crazy things? Not because the wood was special in, it, in its own, but because the Holy Spirit came upon an ordinary thing and made it special for holy use. The tent of God's dwelling place, when, when God's people in Israel um, uh, couldn't enter, only the, only the high priest can enter, and that he had to go through all kinds of rituals. Why was that tent so holy? Was it special cotton that they used to make the tent? Was it special? No. The tent in itself was a tent, but who resided in it? The Holy Spirit, the glory of God. Because of that, this tent became glorious, was set apart. The Ark of the Covenant, the gold Ark of the Covenant. You can't touch it. You die. 
in, in the Old Testament. Why? Was there something magical about the gold? Did they get the gold from kind of like a weird cave somewhere? No. The gold was just gold. But what resided on top of the um, uh, ark? The Holy Spirit. It set apart ordinary things for holy use. Now, in the birth of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit took another ordinary thing and set it apart for holy use. What is that? Mary's womb. Just like there is nothing particularly special about the wood of Moses' staff or the tent material for the tent of worship or the, ar- or the gold that made the Ark of the Covenant, there is nothing particularly special about Mary's womb. He was, she wasn't some, somebody who had a different womb than every other woman. So how was an ordinary womb set apart for holy use? Why was a child that was conceived in it the Son of God? Luke 1, 34-35. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Just like he hovered over the water, Michael Horton says it even more uh, brutally, I guess, but he said, um, just like the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters in in Genesis 1 and brought about life, marine life from within it, so did he hover over Mary's water, the water in the womb, and gave it life. And just like the Holy Spirit set apart an ordinary wood, ordinary gold, ordinary tent for holy use, so did the Holy Spirit sanctify and set apart an ordinary womb for holy use. That's why God the Son was framed in flesh and blood. The Holy Spirit set apart Mary's womb for that work. But, so, so therefore, God can start where we started in order to be our propitiation for our sins. But that's not all. Remember, it's not enough for God to start where we started, but he also um, had to uh, go under the same temptations with the limitations that we have. Okay, the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. He had to be tempted in the same way that we were. Famous part of the Bible, Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Who tempted Jesus? In Matthew 4. You guys know this. Satan. Satan tempted Jesus, right? Which is correct. But what most people miss is who led Jesus to that temptation. Let's read Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, after the baptism, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the Holy Spirit didn't tempt him. It's important to know that. But he did organize and arrange things in such a way to where Jesus Christ is led to the place where he's tempted by Satan. And if he didn't succeed in which we failed, he could not be the perfect substitute for our failures. But not only did he start where he started, he was tempted in the same way that we were but yet failed. Holy Spirit was involved in both. But not only that, Holy Spirit was involved in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is him paying for our failures and giving us the victory of his reward. Peter in Act 1 speaks of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, Acts 1, 15-16. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. Uh, the company of persons was in all about 120, and it said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand. The Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. The Holy Spirit knew about the soul Judas, Jesus, um, uh, armies capturing him, but not only did the Holy Spirit speak of this long, a long time ago, now that we know the Holy Spirit's work in creation, he's the one who, 
who, who gives life and orders things and arranges things, and he's the one who uh, gives uh, our dead hearts a conviction and, and guilt and, and, and judgment about sin and holiness. We know now um, that the only reason why Judas and the Roman soldiers uh, made this happen and captured Jesus is because the Holy Spirit arranged and organized the circumstances in such a way for it to happen. He didn't make them do it, but he did withhold himself in such a way that they were left to their own choices and their own depravity and their own sin, to which they ended up capturing Jesus. He allowed them to make their own choice, a choice that we, we would all make if left to our own devices, which is rejection of God. Also, I don't know how accurate this is, but there's no tsunami or earthquake that happened that day. No foreign army attacking that city. The Holy Spirit didn't convict Judas's heart into repentance. He allowed everything to happen in such a way to where Jesus was led to the cross and died. But not only that, the Holy Spirit was also involved in the resurrection of Jesus, which without, we'd also have no salvation. Romans 8, 1. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Jesus Christ started where we started. The Holy Spirit was involved in that. Jesus Christ walked this life in the same temptations that we have, but yet failed. He succeeded. Holy Spirit was involved in that. Jesus Christ was uh, crucified on the cross. Holy Spirit was involved in that. Jesus Christ was resurrected. Holy Spirit was involved in that. And thus, at the end of the line, he didn't give his own passport. He said, I want you to stamp Edgar's passport. Don't write my name. I want Andrew's name to be on the certificate. That's what happened on the cross. He gave us the victory that he earned. But he had to tr start where we start. And he had to go through everything that we went through. Holy Spirit was involved in all of this. In sec session three, we're going to talk more in depth about the Holy Spirit's role in our salvation as he internally works in faith in our heart. But I want to show us here that even in his role uh, in creation as the organizer, the order, or the cherisher of life, he's also involved in that he made sure that there is an object of faith in which our hearts can have faith in, which is Jesus Christ, the flesh and blood of God the Son, who, God the Son who became flesh in order to die and save God's people, and that this incarnation was thanks to the work of the organizing, the cherishing, the creation, the setting apart of the Holy Spirit. Summary, and then we'll have questions. The work of the Holy Spirit, this is a summary for the whole session. The work of the Holy Spirit is always to be understood as his role within and not independently from, nor less than, the work of the Trinitarian God. He is the imminent power of God, or rather, more accurately, he is God who is powerfully imminent, as seen in the creation of the world and in the incarnation of God the Son.